First off, I want to welcome you back again to our 21st night. Hard to believe that we've we've been going through this every night for well not every night but for 21 nights. Bless your heart. Ye that endure to the end will be able to relax. <laughs> we'll be saved. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings, the way you've guided us and taught us, and the things that we've learned from your word from night to night. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit now, as we have this final meeting. We talk about the very important topic of the Holy Spirit of God. Come into our hearts and give us wisdom and understanding, and help us, Lord, to truly trust in you and allow the Spirit to guide and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope from night to night, the things we've been talking about, that you have seen that it's coming from Scripture. You know, I may have referred to different historical books and so forth, but you notice that we're taking it from Scripture. And because of this, this is extremely important because it's got, our faith has to be based on scripture, not traditions. Other writings are good, they're supportive. But this has to be the ultimate dividing point. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the unpardonable sin. I thought God forgives every sin. According to the scriptures, he's a loving, forgiving God. There's even a song that says that um, he will forgive No matter what, he'll forgive our sins. Well, there's one that God says he cannot forgive. And why? It's not because of him, it's because of us. It's when we cut ourselves off from God. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the unpardonable sin. In 1944... An American cargo ship loaded with supplies and explosives ran aground on the River Thames. It wasn't too far from Sheerness in England. And the ship, actually, the hull broke in half. And nobody knew exactly what to do. They didn't know, what do you do with a ship that's broken in half full of explosives? And as a result, they did nothing. So today, even though that was back in 1944, today the SS Richard Montgomery is still 50 feet below the surface of the water. You can still see the masts of the ship visibly sticking up out of the waves. It has 1,500 tons of explosives, and it's resting somewhere in that ship. Now, the thing is, you can't leave it there forever. You've got to do something with it. And to this point, they have not decided exactly what to do. But one day, something is going to have to be done because doing nothing is not an option. You know, when it comes to spiritual things, The Lord tells us in Matthew 
12.30 that doing nothing is also not an option. He wants us to take a sides either for him or against him. But to do nothing is not an option. Notice what it says in Matthew 12, 12 uh, 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. In plain words, we're with him or we're not. In Revelation, he also says, I wish that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In plain words, I'm going to spit you in the ditch. To put it in a more vernacular. Notice what it says in 12, 31, and 32. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now stop and think about that. There are those who have spoken blasphemously against the Father. He says he can forgive that. There are those who have spoken blasphemously against the Son. He can forgive that. But to speak blasphemously against the Holy Spirit, he can't forgive that. Why? Because what is it that brings to people a spirit of repentance? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And if we say to the Holy Spirit, get out of my life, I don't want you. Now, some people do that, you know, in, the rash, in a rash moment or something. But a person who truly means it, get out of my life, I don't want you. How can the Holy Spirit bring them to repentance? They've cut the telephone wires between here and heaven. And so we find in 1 John 1, 9, notice what it says here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does he do that cleansing? It's by sending the Holy Spirit to us. He's the one that helps us to clean up our act. And this is what he wants to do for us. Regardless of your misdeeds, God says, I can forgive you. And you know, if a person has a guilty conscience and your conscience is really nagging you at something you've done and you feel really bad about it, praise the Lord. It shows that God hasn't given up on you yet. Right? It's when you can do something wrong and it doesn't bother you in the least. That's when you're in trouble, you see. If the Holy Spirit keeps nagging at our conscience until we do something with it. We either reject him or we accept him. But to do nothing is not an option because if we wait too long, we will reject him. And so it says that we must confess our sins and he'll forgive them. Now in Psalm 89, verse 5, notice what it says here. 
For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. The Holy Spirit is uh, willing to forgive. The Father is willing to forgive. Jesus is ready to forgive. God wants people to be saved. He doesn't want them to be lost. But he needs their cooperation. Because he doesn't force your conscience. If you really want to be lost, you have that option. But he's not going to let you go without a fight. The Holy Spirit is going to keep reaching out to you, reaching out to you, until he realizes that you really do mean that you don't want him in your life. The Lord says that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth. He's the one that gets us to confess our sins. He's the one that makes us want to do things differently and to live for God. Notice what it says in John 16, 8. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Those are things people don't want to be convicted of today. People don't want to think about a judgment coming. If I know that there's going to be a judgment and I'm going to have to face the judgment bar of God, oh, I'm not sure I like that if I'm not living in harmony with God's will. That means that I'm either going to have to change my life or get rid of God. Get rid of the Holy Spirit. Because God accepts us where we're at, but he never leaves us where we're at. He changes us. And so notice it says that he convicts the world of sin. He tells us through his word what is right and what is wrong. That's why we read the scriptures. To determine what God's will is. And he convicts us of the right way to go. When it says of righteousness, that means of right doing. What's the right thing to do? And he also tells us of the judgment. What manner of men and women ought we to be knowing these things? After Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the day of Pentecost came. And it was at Pentecost that Peter stood up before a crowd of people and he spoke to them about the Messiah that had been crucified. Some of those people had been calling for his crucifixion and they were convicted in their hearts. Why were they convicted? The Holy Spirit of God was working on them because many of them did it in ignorance. And what was the reaction to this? Look at Acts 2.37. It says they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. And they said, I'm convicted that I'm wrong. Now what do I do? You see? They couldn't stay there. They had to do something. They were convicted in their heart and said, and he said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? Acts 2.38 says, Peter told them what they needed to do. Repent. That means stop doing what you're doing. Okay, stop doing the wrong thing you're doing. 
And let every one of you be, what? Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The word name represents the character of Jesus Christ. When a person is baptized, they can say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. And there's been nothing changed in your life. But if you are sincere and you are baptized sincerely, believing in Jesus, when you come up from that water, you come up to represent him. And your life will be representative of the character of Jesus Christ. By beholding, we become changed. As we behold the devil, we become changed into his character. As we behold Jesus, we become changed in his character. And it it alters our behavior. And notice what else, as we go on, we find that there are several other texts that the Lord uses. Convicting people that they need to get off the fence and take a stand. What is he saying? Stop resisting me. Surrender to me. That's what God wants. He wants us to be surrendered to him. A lot of people say, well, I believe in being independent. Well, you know what? That's fine if you're independent of other people, but God wants you to be dependent on him. He wants you to lean on him and allow him to reshape you. In Ephesians 4.30, notice what it says. It tells us that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what does the word grieve mean? I do some grief recovery seminars. As a matter of fact, I got one coming up. You probably saw that on that paper I brought out, uh, passed out. But what does it mean to grieve? If you're grieving, what are you, what are you experiencing? Loss, pain, right? You're actually suffering. Do you ever stop to think that you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, there are those who think that the Holy Spirit is a force. Have, can you grieve the law of gravity? The law of gravity couldn't care if you lived or died when you jumped off a building, right? But the Holy Spirit is not a, a force. He's a being. Only a being can grieve. Right? When's the last time you grieved a rock? Or you grieved a tree? But you can grieve an intelligent being. And the Holy Spirit of God is grieved. Why is he grieved? Because he's trying to tell you something and you're not listening. You're not getting the point. And he keeps saying, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. But, you know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit to a certain point. Notice what it says here in James 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When you know what's right and you don't do it, that, that's another definition of sin. If you saw a person drowning, and right beside you was one of these round lifesavers, you know, with a rope on it, and you saw him drowning, and you said, 
Oh, you poor man, you really should take swimming lessons. Is that what you would do? If it's right there and you didn't take that thing and throw it out to him and rescue him, you're actually responsible for that man's death, you see. And we need to realize here that he says, if you know what is good and you don't follow it, you better be careful because you may be flirting with grieving the Holy Spirit. I've had people say to me, well, I know what the Bible says, but I prefer to believe this. You can prefer whatever you want. But when we see what the scripture says, the Holy Spirit says, all right, now what you're going to do with it? Well, it's better that I didn't know about it in the first place. Then I could plead ignorance. Ah, yes. When you go into court, you say to the judge, uh, yeah, I went through that stop sign, but I didn't see it. I was looking the other direction. So that should free me from any responsibility. What would the judge say to you? Right, you should have been paying attention, but he would also say, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You see, God has given us enough information that we should be able to make decisions for him. Even in this seminar, you've been exposed to, I'm sure, to a lot of new information that maybe you never thought of before. You never realized or, or saw in the scriptures. And God is saying, okay, what are you going to do with it? You're going to put it on a shelf and forget about it? Or are you going to do something with it in your life? Did you ever stop to think that the Holy Spirit is actually pleading with your heart? It's because he loves you. He wants you to be among the remnant who are saved and to take a stand for him on these issues and be his representatives to a dying world. That's why he's giving us all this information. And notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Anybody a fireman? No firemen in here. Good. When you quench a fire, what do you do? You put it out. So what is this saying? It's saying that the Holy Spirit wants us to listen. He wants to guide our lives. But we say, well, I can't right now. I'll, I'll get back to you later. And he says, no, don't wait. Don't wait. Wait is one of the devil's tools to get you to reject something. Remember Felix and his wife Drusilla. The apostle Paul came before them and he preached the gospel. And Felix was getting kind of nervous when he started talking about a judgment coming because Felix had a lot of things to be nervous about. And Felix finally said, I don't have time now. I'll call you back another time when I have a more convenient season. You know what? Felix never did have Paul come back again. And from the scriptures, we have reason to believe that Felix was lost because he was pushing off the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by pushing him away 
when he's trying to get through to you with the truth until finally you can quench him. In plain words, he comes knocking at your door and if you don't answer the door after a while, he says, well, there's no sense knocking. They're not going to open the door. My friends, that's a sad position to be in. There, if you look at the ancient tribes of Israel and the sons of Jacob by name, and then you look at the holy city that has the names of those sons of Israel on it, you will find that there are two missing. One was the tribe of Ephraim. You look at Revelation 22, 21 and 22, you won't find the name of Ephraim in there on that holy city. The other is the tribe of Dan. They have substitutes in their place. Why? The scripture says about Ephraim, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave him alone. What a sad commentary. Ephraim is so joined to his idols, leave him be, we can't get through to him. His Christian experience, or his experience with God, it also says of Ephraim, Ephraim is a cake half turned. A cake half turned. Now, did I mention that before to you? My wife's looking at me and smiling. She knows what I'm going to say. When we were first married, we were on our honeymoon. And my wife was going to show me her culinary skills. And she made me my first breakfast. And she whipped out the frying pan. And she said, do you like pancakes, blueberry pancakes? Yeah, I do. Okay. So she started to cook up some pancakes. Well, I'll tell you, those pancakes were nice and brown on the top. And when she flipped them over, they were nice and brown on the bottom. And then she put it on the plate and handed it to me and said, Here, tell me what you think of them. Well, fellas, have you ever been set up? You know, women have a way of setting you up. And so I bit into them. They were cooked on the top. They were cooked on the bottom, but the metal was all goo. And when I bit into it, I felt this goo all over my mouth like paste. And then she looked at me and she said, how do you like them? Now, it's not nice to lie. It's also not a good idea sometimes to say exactly what you think or you're going to get yourself in big trouble. So... I just looked at her, smiled, and said, I've never tasted anything like it before. <laughs> you see, the pancakes were half-cooked. That's what Ephraim was like. He was a half-baked Christian. He wanted the world, and he also wanted the kingdom. And you couldn't have that. Isn't that the same thing happened with Judas? Judas wanted to be in the kingdom, but he also wanted to make sure he made a profit on the deal. And so Ephraim, you won't find his name 
on the list of those that are listed in the holy city. The other one is the tribe of Dan. It said the tribe of Dan was like a serpent that bites the heel of his horse to throw the rider. In plain words, the tribe of Dan had a critical experience. Oh, my friends, if you go around criticizing people and trying to derail them of their Christian experience, you call yourself a Christian because you won't do what I want you to do. You better be careful. You might find yourself acting like Dan. You may miss out on the kingdom, you see. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to overcome these things. And so if you're not careful, you can quench it. And the Holy Spirit no longer knocks on your door. Ephraim's too joined to his idols. He's not going to answer the door of his heart and let me in. We need to be careful of that because in the last days, we have reason to believe from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is going to be withdrawn from the earth. Now, what does that mean? It means that those who have decided for Christ will have made their decision. Those who have decided against Christ will have not made a decision for him. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you're sitting on the fence and you don't take a side with Christ, you're going to fall off on the other side. And so the Holy Spirit no longer needs to tug at your heart anymore because people have made a decision. They're either going to be with Christ or they're not. And because of this, we find that the wicked get wickeder. And the righteous who are listening, their lives are becoming more conformed to the character of Christ as they stand up for the truth that they have received. God does not want us to quench the Holy Spirit. He wants us to accept the Holy Spirit. And if you come to the Hebrews seminar, we're going to be talking about this very type of thing that happened in the book of Hebrews and some illustrations of it. But notice here, in Hebrews 2, 3, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There are some people who, even though they know what truth is, they put it up on the shelf, and it never gets into their lives. Sadly, many people who think repentance is a good idea never get around to repenting themselves. I remember one time in a church oh, up in the Cadillac area, there was a fellow, I'm going to call him Rex. And Rex, I visited him and I visited him and uh, each time he said, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm coming back to church. You wait and see. I'll be back to church. Never showed up. I went back again. Never showed up. Kept telling me the same thing. I said, Rex, you know, sooner or later, you're going to run out of time. You need to make a decision. Either you're going to be with the Lord or you're not. Oh, don't worry, Pastor. You wait and see. You'll see me. Next time I saw him, it wasn't in church. It was in a funeral home. I had his funeral. He waited too long. 
You know, for you and me, we may be thinking, well, this is all in the future. Yeah, but how do you know you're going to be around to see the future? How do you know that today isn't the day of decision? And the Holy Spirit is tugging on the hearts of people to make decisions now. A story from the uh, American Revolution. It tells us about a man who waited too long. His name was Johann Rahl. He was a German colonel during the revolution. Many of the Hessian soldiers, the German soldiers, were imported to help the British. And he was told, he was stationed in Trenton, New Jersey. And one of the loyalist spies came to him and said, George Washington and his army are across the river and they're planning to attack. But you see, he couldn't get through to uh, Colonel Rowell because he was busy playing cards and he didn't want to interrupt his game. So the man wrote the message on a note and passed it to him. And the colonel just took the note, put it in his pocket, and he forgot about it. It wasn't until after Washington's men arrived and they surprised the Hessian troops that Colonel Rall rallied his forces to resist. But it didn't do much good because he had to quickly try to get out of there. And in the process, he got hit by a musket ball and killed. When they went over to him, they went through his pockets, and there they found the unopened note. Had he been listening to the warning, his defeat and that of his army may have been averted. But he waited too long. John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. Now, many people say, well, Al, this church says they have all the truth. That church says they have all the truth. You know, God says that it's the job, one of the jobs, of the Holy Spirit to guide you into truth. Ah, you can't tell what the truth is. If you say you can't understand what the truth is, then you are telling God he's a liar. Because God says that he can tell you what the truth is. He will tell you by the spirit of truth who will impress your mind as you read the word of God. As you look at the life of Jesus, you will see what the truth is. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. Remember last night I was talking about some of these reformers of the past and how they were picking up gems of truth and putting them in a box, spiritually speaking. Taking the gem of truth, righteousness by faith here. And over here we see holy living. And then we think of uh, the second coming of Jesus, another gem in the box. And that the dead... No, not anything. They're sleeping till Jesus comes. A gem in the box. Recovering these gems that the devil has scattered through history. And 
Notice it says, he will guide you into all truth. He'll convict you what is the right way to go if we allow him to. So who's he waiting for? He's waiting for us to respond. Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Okay? So who are the sons of God? They are those who believe, those who are led by the Spirit. Now, one of the questions we had early on in the seminar was about back in Genesis when it talks about the sons of God intermarrying with the, the women of men. There are those who are saying, well, these were aliens from outer space or these were evil angels who were interbreeding with human beings. That's not what it's talking about. It's simply saying that the believers in God intermarried with those who didn't. It's mixed marriage it's talking about. And because of their mixed marriage, they brought up a race of children, very big children, by the way, they were called giants, because their parents were giants. But they were, when it says the mighty men of old, that word mighty does not mean what we may think it means. The word mighty in that case meant the arrogant men of old. The men who went out conquering other people and subjecting them. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we are sons and daughters of God. You see. And there's nothing like a family where both parents are sons and daughters of God. You see. The kids have a better chance of knowing the truth of God and living godly lives themselves. That's a challenge to parents even today. The word of God, Jesus himself says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. What? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Now, what's the converse of that? If you don't abide in my word, you are not my disciple, right? Abide means to stick with it. Stick with me, and you are my disciples. If you abide with me, and in my word, and the word of God and Jesus are both called the word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If we abide in Jesus Christ, when we read the word of God, and notice what we always pray before we, we study the word of God. I want to emphasize that point again. I, way back in the beginning of this, I told you the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis is when you read your own thoughts into the Bible. Exegesis is when you let the Bible speak to you, you see. And we need to be careful we don't read our own thoughts in, but we need to have prayer when we read the Bible so that the Holy Spirit will take our minds and help us to see things in Scripture that we didn't see before and how to apply it to our own lives. The true child of God hears the voice of God and says, 
you've called me and I'm coming home. This is the reason why Revelation says Babylon has fallen, has fallen. It's so confused out there. Come out of her, my people. Well, if you come out of her, what do you come into? You come into the jewel box. You come into all the gemstones of truth that you've collected from the word of God. Some fishermen one day were mending their nets and Jesus walked by and he he simply said to them, follow me. They heard his voice. They got up and followed him. Now they could have said, well, I got to go home and pray about it first. But these were men who were already praying to know truth. They were already praying to know who the Messiah was. Oftentimes, we say, Lord, show me truth, show me truth, show me truth. And the Lord says, why? Why should I show you more truth if you're not going to do anything with what you got already? Right? There are times and there are instances in the Bible, I don't have time to go into it now, where when they were praying about something, the Lord says, hey, get up and go. Just go. And I will lead you. And we find here, well, I got to wait until I'm convicted on this. That's a good way of saying, I want, like Felix, well, I'll come back when I have a more convenient time. God says, this is truth. Do you believe it's truth? Yes. If you believe it's truth, then you're already convicted on it. Now get up and do something with it. That's what he's saying, basically. You don't need to wait for feeling, well, I, I don't feel like doing it right now. Well, why are you waiting for feeling? Truth is not based on feeling. It's not subjective, it's objective in that case. And so God says that doing nothing is not an option with the word of God. When we want the Holy Spirit to come in our lives, he wants us to read the word of God daily with prayer, to see what it says, and then say, Lord, now what would you have me to do? How do I apply it in my life today? And the Lord says, I will guide you through this day. God only guides you through one day at a time. Did you ever notice that? Everybody's worrying about tomorrow. But God says, hey, let's walk together today. And we'll take care of tomorrow when we get there. In the National Air and Space Museum in Dulles, Virginia, The Enola Gay is on display. Anybody remember the Enola Gay? Ah, the Enola Gay was the airplane that dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima. It ended World War II from one perspective. You could say, that's a good thing. It ended World War II. But if you're Japanese, that wasn't a good thing because now you have all these people you know and love that were killed. You see, there was a positive and a negative aspect of it. For almost six hours, the plane could have turned back after it left to do its task. 
It could have turned back. But once it dropped the bomb, they had gone beyond the point of no return. Even though the, the bomb bay was open, even though the bomb was all set to be dropped, they could still have turned around and gone back. But once that button was pushed, and it let go of the bomb, there's nothing the men on that plane could do to stop the destruction that would follow. And in our lives, there come points where we have to make a decision. Either decide for God or against him. That point sometimes may seem very simple point to us, but it's a point of no return. Look at Noah. In the time of Noah, Noah preached and preached and preached. Even some of the people might have even helped him to build that boat. But when it came time to get into the boat, they were afraid of what other people thought. They didn't have the faith. Well, will it float? Maybe it'll leak. And, well, you know, it's never rained before. It's never rained before. What are we talking about rain for? I don't even see a cloud in the sky. Because of their unbelief, they did not get in the boat. Even after the animals got in, the door was still open. But they didn't go in. They even saw an angel close that door. Some people say Noah closed the door. The Bible says an angel closed the door. And once the door was closed and it was sealed, when it started to rain, some of them came banging on the door to get in. But they couldn't get in because they had gone beyond the point of no return. In the last days when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from the earth, it'll be the point of no return for some people. Because their decision has been made, they have quenched the Holy Spirit from knocking on the door of their heart. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Actually, Christ is the ark. The ark symbolized Christ. Those who were in the ark were saved. Here, those who are in Christ would be saved. Those who are out of Christ will not. Here, he is a new creation. What's that mean? Well, how many of you know that you're a different person today than you were before you knew about the Lord? Anybody? I think of things I used to do before I came to Christ. And then I stopped to think one day, I said, hey, whatever happened to that habit I used to have? What happened to that practice I used to have? I wonder where they went. They disappeared. Why? The Lord helped me to overcome them. And many times I didn't even realize it. Because instead of looking at the habits, I was looking at Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, he can give you victory. Notice what it says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the same as being born again. You're a different person than you once were. 
The old things have passed away. That's why when a person is baptized by immersion, he goes down into the water because he's dead to the old life. The old life is washed away. And when he comes up, he comes up a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. You see the connection, how these interconnect with one another? In Genesis 6, 3, it says, My spirit will not strive with man forever. Back in the time of the flood, the spirit was reaching out to people until one day their probationary period came to an end. And the Holy Spirit says, Hey, look, they've all decided either they're going to be in or they're not. And those who went in were saved. And the Holy Spirit stopped striving to win souls. They were washed away. My friends, it says in the days of Noah, it'll be repeated in these end times. There will be storms that will come. No, maybe not the kind of storms that Noah went through. There won't be maybe, you know, vast water. That's not what it's talking about. But there will be storms and trials and tribulations that will come. And you're going to need the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your character to cling to Christ so that you will not be washed away. Whatever you cling to, whatever prevents you from coming to Christ, will have to be given up. It will have to be given up or you will be washed away. How many people say, oh man, I just, I just can't live without tobacco. I can't stop smoking. What you're saying is you're bigger than God because God says he can take it away from you. You see. Oh man, I, I just can't live without this job. I've got to have this job. Even if it means violating the commandments of God, I've got to have that job. You're going to give your life up for a job? Oh, I, hey, I could never give up eating ham sandwiches. You're going to give up your salvation for a ham sandwich? Do you realize that Judas sold Jesus for the price of a slave? And I don't remember the exact amount, so don't hold me to it. But if I'm correct, the price he sold Jesus for equated in today's dollars for $12.50. He must not have thought much of Jesus to sell Jesus for $12.50. How many people are willing to sell their life, their family, their health, and their salvation for drugs and narcotics? You see, are we willing to let go of these things? Or are we going to let our salvation go? Jesus taught a parable once about men who were invited to a feast. Each of them had excuses why they couldn't be there. Are you making excuses why you won't be there in the kingdom? It's time to follow him. 
Not make excuses why we can't. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Are we doing that? Or do we make excuses why we can't? I remember there's somebody in our meeting here tonight came up to me early on and said, after we talked about the Sabbath, I talked to my boss and praise the Lord. He was understanding and let me have the Sabbath off. You know, so often we're just afraid to take a stand. When we take a stand, we'd be surprised how the Lord can deliver us. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for us to take the courage, to have courage to take and make a decision and take a stand. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit is guiding a person when they are willing to take a stand and step out in faith. In the words of God, we see in Acts 24, 24 and 25, it says, and after some days, going back to Felix, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control. Ooh, that's an awful word, isn't it? Self-control. <laughs> you know, if you don't have self-control, somebody else has to control you. Kids who don't have self-control need their parents to control them. If that doesn't work, they need a principal to control them. If that doesn't work, they need a police officer to control them. If that doesn't work, they need a judge to control them. If that doesn't work, they need a warden to control them, right? And God wants us to learn self-government, to control ourselves, to stay within the boundaries that he has set for us, called the Ten Commandments. It's so that we will have liberty. That's why it's called the law of liberty. And notice that Felix, it says, he was afraid when he heard Paul talk about self-control and the judgment to come. He was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That convenient time never came. When he said, go away, he was basically saying, Holy Spirit, get out of here. I feel uncomfortable because I have to make a decision. In Acts 24, 27 and 28, King Agrippa, Jesus is sent to King Agrippa, remember? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Now, this is Paul speaking. He also stood before Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets and play what you believe in the Bible? He says, I know you do. I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You almost. What's that mean? He never became one. My friends, are you almost standing up for Christ or not? No, this is not a president of the United States. But anybody recognize him? His name is Harry Truman. Anybody remember Harry Truman? Ah, okay, Bob. Yeah, Harry Truman. I remember 1980. 1980, I remember Harry Truman. 
You see, Harry Truman was the manager of a campground at Spirit Lake. Anybody now understanding where I'm going? Spirit Lake. Where was Spirit Lake? It was on the side of Mount St. Helens. And in 1980, they knew that Mount St. Helens was going to erupt. By the middle of May, there was a blister on the side of the mountain. It was a mile wide and 300 feet high. The authorities ordered everybody to evacuate the area. But Harry Truman said, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay right here. He said, everything's going to be okay. Well, they try to persuade him. This is my mountain. I'm fine here. There's no need for me to go anywhere. Well, they couldn't persuade Harry. And then, one fateful May day, 1980, Mount St. Helens blew up with such ferocity that the people several miles away were killed by the blast. It was so strong. Harry Truman was right. He wasn't going to leave that mountain. Well, I shouldn't say that. He left that mountain, but it was in bits and pieces. It was in ashes. He said he wasn't going anywhere. He thought he would be safe. He said, I'm still here. But he couldn't say that anymore. Harry heard many appeals but he chose not to listen, and he paid the ultimate price. My friends, are we resisting the Holy Spirit to our own demise, or are we allowing Christ to lead in our lives? One day soon, Jesus will come. We think that Mount St. Helens was a terrible blast, terrible destructive force. But when Jesus comes, all the earth will be affected. Both the righteous and the wicked will see it when he comes. It will not be hidden. He's coming again, and when he comes back again, in the eastern sky, is going to split wide open. And Christ is going to come down, riding the great corridors of space. Revealing to all that he is not the Savior. He's coming back as King. King and Lord. King of kings, Lord of lords. The question is, where will you be on that day? Where will I be? Will we be looking up and say, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. Or will we be running, begging the rocks, to fall upon us and hide us from his presence. Why? Because we have not listened to the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tugging at our heart. My friends, I wonder if you do something for me tonight. And that is, if you would like the Holy Spirit to be the motivating force in your life, and you want to live for him, that you will be ready for the coming of Jesus, I'd like to invite you to stand. Just where you're at, stand. 
You see, by your standing, you've made a decision. By your standing, you are sending a message to God. Through the nights, 21 nights now, you've been exposed to a lot of truth. What are you going to do with it? You're going to live it? You're going to follow it? God is inviting you. He's calling you tonight. And I would like to invite you to respond to him by taking your stand for the truths that you know. There are some who have never been baptized before. I would be wrong as a minister not to extend to you an invitation to baptism. Biblical baptism by immersion. If you've been baptized and you've drifted away from the Lord and you'd like to reclaim that experience that you once had or because you've learned more things you've never known before, I'd like to invite you to be rebaptized, to take your stand for Jesus. If there are any of you who feel that that's the stand you want to take, after I have closing prayer, why don't you just come up and tell me This is what they said when Peter preached. After he told them and the people felt conviction, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized. This is what the Lord's calling us to in these last days. So I extend that invitation to you. Just come up and tell me. That's all you need to do. I'm not going to embarrass you in public. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, through these 21 nights, we've learned a lot of truths. We've learned a lot of things from the Word of God, from the Scriptures, things we've never seen before, perhaps. Some things we have known, but I hope we've seen it in a clearer light. I just pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one who is present and those who are listening on the recordings, that we will take our stands for you, that we will indeed not let anything come between us and our Savior, no matter what it is or who it is, that we will stand for the right though the heavens fall, that we may be among those who develop the character of Christ in our lives through the Holy Spirit of God, As we look up, may we be able to say with all the saints of the ages, this is our God, we have waited for him. Lord, save us to that end and use us to save our loved ones and our friends and any other who will hear us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.